your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 8. John, chapter number 8. There's so much about this chapter that I'd like to consider, and that would take literally hour after hour to do that. So I want to focus on what our Lord said, beginning in verse number 21. John chapter 8 and verse number 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he saith, Whither I go, you cannot come. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, and I from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. I'll never forget when I was first saved in the excitement of getting my first Bible, and uh, I didn't know what to get, I ended up with uh, getting a Schofield Bible because that's what I had heard that all of the preachers used. That's what my pastor used, and so I got a Schofield Bible. Uh, I didn't want to spend a lot of money, so I got a hardback well, it didn't take me long to realize uh, that uh, uh, that that wasn't going to work out, so I decided to get another Bible. Uh, but I've never, over all of these years, ever, for whatever reason, never had what's called a red-letter edition of the Bible. Probably some of you right now are using a red-letter edition of the Bible, which is fine. Great, it has the words of Jesus written in red so you can see exactly what Jesus said. And certainly his words are the most important words ever, ever stated, written, said, down through the annals of history. His words are the most beautiful words ever spoken or written. And in fact, his name is called the Word of God in Revelation chapter 19. That's one of his names, the Word of God. What he said is true. What he said is not only true, it's absolutely tremendous. It's unlike anything anybody else has ever said. It's not only tremendous, but it is transforming. It literally changes us. But Jesus also said some of the most terrible things ever uttered. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning, the most terrible thing Jesus said. By terrible, I mean exactly what that word means as, as it was used and translated from the Greek over into the English. It means frightful. It means fearful. It means dreadful. It means horrifying. And here in these few verses I just read, we can see an example of that because I want you to notice that three times in two verses, 
Jesus says, ye shall die in your sins. Look, that's the supreme disaster. That is the worst thing imaginable. And let me tell you, you know, if you don't like blunt preaching, you wouldn't want to listen to Jesus preach. I mean, he was to the point, and and I mean, this was a uh, to those that, that that he was speaking to. This was a shocking statement to them because if you read on through this chapter, you'll see that they didn't see any need of him because they were, you know, they were the children of Abraham. That was their, you know, their bragging rights, and they clung to that hope that being uh, the offsprings of Abraham, this is going to be all that's necessary, and so. So this was an insult to them that ye shall die in your sins. But as blunt as our Lord was in his preaching, what he said was always true, always. And it was always spoken in love, whether people understood that or not. I mean, sometimes the best thing you can say concerning and expressing your love for someone is to give them a warning that there's a train coming. You might not like the warning, but you need to hear it. And so Jesus didn't pull any punches when it came to revealing to them their great spiritual needs, but it was always out of love and concern. And keep in mind, when I say concern, I'm talking about a concern for people who despised him. I mean, read this chapter. They wanted to kill him. They didn't just, you know, dislike his preaching. They literally despised him in every imaginable way. So based on all of that, it's crucial that we understand who Jesus is, what he did, and what he promised to do. Well, that's the point the Lord was trying to make with these folks. Sadly, the Pharisees... And the Sadducees, they wanted to argue rather than accept what he said. They wanted to have a debate about it. And the dispute, if you go back to verse number 12, this is where the dispute basically starts. When he made the statement, I am the light of the world. I mean, that declaration set off a debate among them. I mean, that's the short version of the story. They're still angered as a result of that. And no doubt, you know, they, they could go back to the Old Testament and think about the fact that God said of the nation of Israel that they would be a light unto the Gentiles. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, we're part of Abraham's seed. We are the Israelites. We're the light of the world. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the light of the world. So they want to debate about that. So as we consider... The most terrible thing Jesus ever said that behooves us to make some observations related to that. And there are at least three things that, that we need to uh, realize in regards to a person's salvation. First of all, we have to recognize our condition as a sinner. The Pharisees, they seem to see everybody's sins but their own. That's what we see if you go back and read the first 12 verses of this chapter in the story of the woman taken in adultery. I mean, it was easy for them to see her sin, 
They could point out anybody else's sin, but they didn't see any sin in their own life. Let me tell you, no one will ever be saved until they come to grips with the fact that they are a sinner. And they're deceived in regards to their nature and to their need. And so an argument ensues beginning in verse number 32. Maybe I should say it intensifies there because the Lord said in verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Thus begins this argument in regards to them being the children of Abraham. In verse 44, he says, ye are of your father the devil and you get down to, I think it's verse number 58, and they took up stones to stone him. They did not get the message that they were a sinner in the sight of God. And there are multitudes today with that same problem. You know, it might be that they're church members. It might be that they're involved in Christian ministry. It might be that they are scholars teaching in a seminary somewhere, but they've never come to grips with the fact that they are a sinner. You know, it's one thing to get a profession of faith out of someone. It might be a little child that you're dealing with. And I've often said the little children are the most difficult people in the world to deal with because a lot of times a child will make a profession of faith based on the fact that everybody wants to go to heaven, right? Well, sure they do. And so you can you can get a profession of faith out of a child, but let me tell you, it means absolutely nothing until that child, I don't care whether a person's 8 or 80, they've got to get to that point that they realize I am a sinner in the sight of God. I have violated God's righteous standard and I cannot have a relationship with God until I have received the forgiveness of my sins. So that's... Part of the problem going on here, the Lord is saying you shall die in your sins. Uh, they don't realize that they're a sinner. The second thing we have to realize is that Christ is the Savior. You know, salvation requires more than a knowledge, but make no mistake about it, there are some things we must know. You've heard me say many times that, you know, that saving faith is more than your mental assent to a historical fact. That's a fact. That's true. You, you can have all of the facts down as to who Jesus is, that he was virgin born, he lived a virtuous life, he died a vicarious death, he arose victoriously, he's coming back in his visible return one day. You can know all of that and still die and go to hell because you have to recognize Jesus Christ as the Savior. So you have to know that. You can't go to heaven on your good intentions. You can't go to heaven just because you're sincere. And a person who doesn't know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done cannot be saved. If you look in verse number 25, I want you to notice their response to all of this. Notice what they said. Who art thou? I mean, surely those standing nearby are shaking. I'm talking about the disciples standing there shaking their head like, what? You, you still don't get it. Who art thou? Are you kidding me? They still haven't got the message realizing that Christ is the Savior. So here in this chapter, we see the Pharisees then accusing Jesus of being a liar, for one thing. They accused him of being an imposter. They even claimed that he was demon-possessed. 
And they honored Abraham above the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we could say a lot more about it, but the Lord really summed it up there in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I, look, Christianity is exclusive. People got this idea that, you know, that, that, that everybody's going to go to heaven. Let me tell you, there is a sense in which everybody's going to go to heaven, but everybody ain't going to stay there. Everybody's going to be called up one day before the Lord. The books are going to be opened, and their name's not going to be in the book of life, and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. But nobody, nobody has a residence in heaven or a relationship with God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways to heaven. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You have to realize that Christ is the Savior. You have to realize that you are a sinner, and then you have to receive Him while there's still time. I want you to notice that even though they have rejected him, he says that eventually they would seek him. Notice, they reject him now. He said, you will seek me. But he says, you shall die in your sins. Think about that. Those who seek him now will find him. But those who don't will seek him later. That's the judgment there will come a time according to Paul he said every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess they will seek him somebody says well I don't care anything about Christianity I don't care anything about Christ I'll never bow down before him oh yes you will oh yeah it, it's going to happen and over in Luke chapter 16 and verse 26 where we see the story there and you remember the rich man died and he was buried in the Lazarus died and was carried by the angels up into Abraham's bosom. And you'll notice that, uh, that it speaks about the great gulf that was fixed there. Lazarus said, you know, let, let, me, let, me go back and, let me go back and tell my brothers. I have five brothers and they're all lost. Must have been from the same community. Right? Because he's saying, you know, it's just... They didn't go back, go to them, warn them. And he said, I can't because there is a great gulf fixed. It's impassable. There, you, you see, there absolutely is no second chance. Somebody says, well, you know, I, I'm not really worried about it because even after I die, there will be a second chance. Some people believe you'll go to purgatory or whatever, but... They've got this idea that there will be a second chance. Listen, the only second chance at salvation that you might ever have is here on this earth. Even though, even though you reject Him now, you will confess Him later. You will bow down before Him. You will confess that He's the King of kings, that He is the Lord of lords. You will acknowledge that, but it will have been too late. But I want you to notice something really important here, a very important word in verse number 21. Notice the word again. I've underlined that. I've colored it in yellow because it is so meaningful. This word speaks about the greatness of our Lord's concern 
for sinners. He said to them again. Why did he repeat himself? Why did he have to repeat himself? Remember, we're told that never a man spake like this man. I mean, you would, you would think that would never be a need for Jesus to repeat anything he ever said. How could you forget a message from the Messiah? Now, I can understand how you might not remember what I preached last week because some weeks I can't remember what I preached last week. So I can remember how you might forget that, but I'll tell you, if I ever heard Jesus preach, I'd never forget that. I've heard some of the greatest preachers that ever lived preach. I remember driving all the way to Tulsa just to hear R.G. Lee preach. I'll never forget listening to him preach and others that I could mention. I've forgotten a lot of other sermons, but we're talking about the Lord Himself. He said to them again, you see, they didn't get the message, so he is repeating the message. And it goes back to what he said in chapter number 7. If you go back there and look in verse 33 and verse 34, that's what he said. And he said he was going to die, said he was going to rise again. And now he's repeating all of that because they still have not got the message. The fact that he told them again and again, in fact, when I thought about this message, I almost preached, uh, I almost preached uh, a message entitled The Second Chance at Salvation, and the text was going to be that one word again. And the more I looked at it, I realized that, you know, the, to, to really get the importance uh, uh, of this, we've got to understand what is at stake here. And that's the most terrible thing that Jesus ever said. You're going to die in your sins. And so he repeats himself again and three times in two verses. He said, ye shall die in your sins. And the fact that he repeated himself over and over reveals the greatness of his concern for them. He would have been justified in just saying it one time. Say, all right, I said it. You didn't listen. You're responsible for what you could have heard or what you did hear. You know, I told you the truth. You rejected the truth. And now you've got to live with the decision that you made. So he would have been justified in telling them just one time. You remember there are a lot of people, multitudes in this world, that have never heard the gospel one single time. Never. So the Lord could have told them one time, but again it says, again. You see, it was the greatness of His love that was compelling Him to tell them again. There have been times in my life where I've dealt with different people where I've got to be honest, I wanted to give up. There have been times whenever I said, I give up, I quit. There's no need in talking to that person anymore. And so it's real easy to get frustrated and just throw in the towel and give up on someone. But here's Jesus speaking to these people. They call him a lunatic, a liar, and demon-possessed, illegitimate, and all of those things. And he says to them again, he, he, it's, it's as though he just couldn't go on leaving them in their lost condition. He, he was going away and he knew that the door of opportunity 
was going to be shut forever for them. So he said to them again, he knew that he was the only source of eternal life. And if they didn't get it from him, they couldn't get it from anyone. And they are about to reject him. Let me tell you, that's something they would come to to regret for eternity. To die in your sins. Now I want you to think about it. All of the arguments. Remember this is all taking place in the middle of a, of a needless debate. Brought on by him saying I am the light of the world. And here they are debating about whether or not they stand in need of forgiveness. Whether or not they are a sinner. Debating as to who Jesus is. All of those arguments could have ended. All of the doubts would have vanished. All of the fears would have subsided had they just accepted Christ on that day. But they didn't. They didn't. And it broke the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. I sat down the other day and... uh, I wrote an article, and I don't know if I'll use it or not, but the title of it was, I'm Worried. I'm Worried. No, I know, yeah, you're not supposed to worry. I understand that. But I was trying to use a word that really expressed the way that I feel. I'm worried. And and by that, I mean that I am worried about some folks. Some of them are relatives. Some of them are not relatives. but the people that I care about. I, I'm worried about them because there's either no evidence of salvation even though they've made a profession of faith or they haven't even made a profession of faith, period. And when I say I'm worried about them, you say, well, the preacher ought not to worry. Well, I'd rather worry about it and be wrong than to not have any concern about whether they go to heaven or hell. By worry, what I meant to imply was when the Apostle Paul said of the children of Israel, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And you go back one chapter and you see The same man saying, in essence, I would be willing to drop off into hell. I'd be willing to go to hell if it resulted in the salvation of my people. You see, it was that burning desire to see people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't describe for you how it must have felt in the heart of our dear Lord on that day when He said to them again. You see, the door of opportunity is still open. There's still an opportunity for them to repent, for them to believe. Now we look back and think, what a sad, sad story that is to think. That although he came into his own, his own received him not. And these very people were responsible for him being nailed to the cross. For him being crucified, rejected. They said, we'll not have this man reign over us. 
No wonder, you see, he said again. We know what they did, but the real question this morning is, what about you? What about you? Do you understand that you are a sinner in the sight of God? Do you realize who Jesus is, what Jesus did? Will you take advantage of the opportunity that you have to be saved before it's too late? Because there's coming a day when it will be too late. Think about how many opportunities have you already had to repent and believe? And you haven't. It might be that some of you can think back to a time where your mom or your dad, it might have been maybe maybe after a Sunday morning service and Whenever you went home, it might have been that they said something to this effect. Did you listen to what the preacher said this morning? Did you listen to your Sunday school teacher? And they begin to quiz you and try to draw out of you a concern as to your salvation. And it might be even with tears in their eyes, somebody witnessed to you and worked with you trying to get you to see your need. It might be that it was in a revival meeting. It might be in a regular church service. But some point in some time, you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it might be the Spirit of God was dealing with your heart. There was something going on inside that you couldn't really explain. But you knew that it was something out of the ordinary. That God was convicting you of the truthfulness of the message that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And again, you walked away without placing your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why would anyone do that? What more evidence would anyone need than what we already have here in the Word of God? Let me tell you, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't prove to your satisfaction that He is who He claimed to be, you'll never be saved. I mean, that's all of the evidence that we need. He is who He claimed that He was. That's why He told them here, even before the crucifixion, He said, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised again, and you're going to die in your sins, He says. Think about, in fact, I don't even have words to describe all that that means. You shall die in your sins. Only, in, in fact, we don't even understand the depths and the vileness of our own sins. Only God really understands that. It's beyond what you and I can comprehend. But to think about, those of you that are here today and you've been saved and you think back to that time where you knew Beyond any shadow of that, you knew that you was a sinner in need of salvation. And your sins troubled you day and night. I'll tell you, that's the way it was with me. I'd committed sins that haunted me. When I got up in the morning, they were there. They followed me throughout the day. When I went to bed and tried to go to sleep at night, the sins that I had committed were haunting me uh, throughout the night. I couldn't get away from it. I, to, to think about being able to, to be forgiven of all of those things, to have the record blotted out, I mean, that was more than my mind can imagine. And the one thing that I needed and the one thing I wanted more than anything. I just didn't know how, how it could ever happen. 
Because, you know, I, I, I couldn't blame my family and friends if they said, I'll never forgive you for what you've done. I couldn't blame them for that. And I surely couldn't forgive myself. And even if I had forgiven myself, it would have been absolutely meaningless in regards to my eternal destiny. I needed more than that. I needed the forgiveness of the one that, that it really matters, and that's God's forgiveness. And there's only one place to find that. It's like an old writer many years ago with the name of Thomas Fuller. He said, he said, you cannot repent too soon because you never know how soon it may be too late. And so many times people will walk out of a service thinking and, you know, they know in their heart that they believe that no doubt what the preacher or what my Sunday school teacher said you know, it was true, I have to admit that, because it came straight out of the Bible and they walk out that door thinking to themselves, someday I know I need, I need to become a Christian. Someday I need to be saved. And they just keep putting it off and putting it off. You remember this. The one who now says, come unto me. The one who has extended to you an invitation to be saved. The one who is now willing to accept you, now willing to forgive you, now willing to cleanse you from all of your sins, that same one someday will say, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. And ye shall die in your sins. It is an eternal death an eternal separation from God. You say, well, I don't mind going to hell. All my friends are there. They don't want you there. Let me tell you that right now. There's nobody in hell that wants you to be there and join them. Nobody. And every person in hell eventually is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is who He said He was. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord. They're going to admit that, but it'll be too late for they will have died in their sins with every sin still on the record, that ugly blot of offense against a holy God to be punished for all of eternity. So it's one thing for us to look back at the Jews here in John chapter 8 and say, what a foolish choice they made that day. But yet there no doubt there's some right here in this building today that have made exactly that same choice. There's some people that, you know, they'd rather get in an argument about who's right and who's wrong than they would to just accept what Jesus said and trust Him as their Lord and Savior. In just a little while, we're going to have prayer for all of our campers before they leave. We need to pray for them all of the while that they're gone. And we certainly need to pray that while they're gone, if there are those that are lost, that they'll be saved. But let me tell you, if you're here today and you're lost, you need to be saved now, not till you get to camp or not till you, you know, turn 10 or not until you graduate from high school and you've sown all your wild oats, you need to be saved right now because you never know when the last time the Lord will deal with you again. 
might be the last opportunity right here, right now, this morning. And God forbid that you walk away from what the Lord offers you. Eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. You don't have to die in your sins. You can be forgiven of all your sins. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're a child of God and you'll spend eternity in heaven with Him. But you have to acknowledge you are a sinner, that Jesus is the Savior, and place your trust in Him. Would you do that this morning? I surely hope so. I hope you will. Let's all stand together. Father, I pray this morning that you'll speak to hearts. And Lord, you and you alone know who is saved and unsaved. And there's so many times we think we can, we can figure it all out on our own, but we can't. And there might be someone here this morning that we would never, we'd never guess for one second that they're, that they're not saved. And yet deep in their heart, they know there's something wrong. There's something missing. They don't have the peace that passeth all understanding of the joy unspeakable and full of glory. And they don't have a firm hope that if they died today, they'd go to heaven. And Lord, help them to understand all of that can change right here and right now this morning if they'll simply put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit will get a hold of their heart in such a way that they'll break down their foolish, stubborn pride and sweep aside every excuse that they've ever used and help them to realize this is their moment. This is their opportunity to become a child of God. For we pray in Jesus' name. Now, while we stand and sing this morning, if you're here and and God's speaking to you in regards to your salvation, your need of salvation, would you come? Or maybe God's speaking to you about something entirely different. Maybe some of you need to follow the Lord in baptism or church membership or whatever it is. But we encourage you right now to do whatever it is God would have you to do while we sing.